Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. Today we bring you our annual predictions show where our many pundits speculate wildly on what they think will happen this year in our industry. And by the way, the very existence of an annual tradition on this podcast is fairly ridiculous because I can't tell you if this podcast will still exist next month. It relies, it always has, on the small amount of money we get from adverts and sponsorship and mostly on your voluntary donations. It matters. It keeps us going in uncertain times. And that, listeners, is where we find ourselves right now. Between sponsors and completely reliant on your support to make this show. So if you value what we do, you know, if you'd have liked to have heard our prediction special on the 1st of January when we intended it to come out, rather than now when we've been able to afford to deliver it, if you would like a regular, independent voice about the media news delivered to your ears, please donate to the show. TheMediaPodcast.com slash dedicate. When you do that, you'll not only experience human emotions, you will also receive a dedication on the next edition of the show. Uh, I can't dedicate a tune to you, this isn't Sunday Love Songs, but if you include a few words about what you do, we always love hearing that because our listenership contains many varied, exceptionally talented people who are easily susceptible to flattery. Go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate and help us put on a show. That's themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Do it now. Thank you. Please donate. Thanks. Here's the show. And my first guests for 2017, uh, almost as if this was recorded along with some of the last episodes of 2016, are Matt Deegan and Jake Cantor, who Happy New Year. Hello, have spent all of Christmas with me in the bar at the hospital club. <laughs> uh, let's talk through, first of all, folks, the predictions you made this time last year. Eek. Let's just see just how wrong you were. Uh, Matt, you predicted a spin-off national station for Heart. Yes. And that they'll put a lot of effort behind it. Mm, 50-50 there then. So d talk us through what did happen there, because there have been some spin-offs. So they've launched Heart Extra um, nationwide on digital radio. That would definitely be a point uh, for that. If, if the format um, was that we awarded points. Um, uh, <laughs> I like to think everything is point-based. Point sure, why not? Um, what it tends to be is the sort of London shiny bits, and then the rest is all music. So it's not particularly that exciting. What Globe have done with um, Heart and with Smooth is there are national versions of them uh, to kind of scoop up advertising in the bits where they're not on FM. It's sort of the least exciting version of digital radio, though 
probably if you live in Lincolnshire, uh, you can now get the beautiful sound of uh, Jamie Theakston and Emma Bunton in the morning. Okay, so you were sort of semi-right, yeah. semi-wrong. Business Insider's Jake Cantor, you were uh, totally wrong when you said that Channel 4 will be fine by now. <laughs> so that we'll have all I think, stopped talking about it. I think I was referring it. to privatisations specifically. You, well, yeah, but and, it's, it's And to my no knowledge, decision. Channel 4 hasn't been privatised. That's true. <laughs> it's still kind of got the axe hanging over it. It, it, it has, it? yeah. The government just needs to get on and sort this out, grow up and get on with it. However, you were right when you said that John Whittingdale will retreat on the BBC. <laughs> you, you didn't quite predict the exact political circumstances, but you were right. Well, he, he did retreat before he was before fired. He was pushed, yeah. yeah, the white paper uh, was nowhere near as apocalyptic for the BBC as people predicted. And Matt, you predicted that there would be a Radio 2 shake-up in terms of on-air lineup. That really didn't happen, did it? Well, there's a bit of a shake-up on was the there? Tony me. Blackburn end of things. Um, <laughs> uh, Actually, I, that was my one thing that I said last year. I yes. said, just, Radio 2, just leave Tony Blackburn alone. Well, after a year of... what I was predicting there, but I don't want to mention anyone's name this year. After a year of wobbling, he's back on. Yes. So that's, that's good news. No, I, I, sort of, I sort of felt that um, maybe there'd be some changes to the Radio 2 daytime lineup. They're always under a lot of pressure to, to maybe add some non-white male faces... Uh, and that would be good. And there's lots of people kind of on the bench, uh, ready to, to go on to Radio 2. So I, I might roll over that um, yeah. prediction to, to next year. This could be your year, Cox. Mm. Slash Feltz, slash Ball. Slash yeah. Claudia. Is that, yeah. Is uh, that, so slash Fern. Yes, exactly. There's quite a few, aren't there? <laughs> there are lots waiting. Yeah. There are lots waiting. Okay. All right. So that's kind of your first prediction of the year. Let's move into some, some proper predictions. Jake, let's start with you. What do you think is going to happen in 2017? I'm going to stick with Channel 4, I think. Okay. And, uh, you, can't just, say... you can't both just recycle your predictions from last year. No, no, time. no, no. This is slightly different. Okay. I'm going to say that David Abraham and Jay Hunt uh, will leave Channel 4 this year. Wow. Mm. Big guns. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, producer Matt told me that I've got to stick my neck out, so <laughs> <laughs> that's the main reason. <laughs> and you went for that rather no, than Alan Yentob will form a pincer movement around Horsbury Road. It goes back to the privatisation thing. I think that will be resolved. Uh, and one way or another, David will step down. Either victorious, having saved Channel 4 from privatisation, or because he's sacked because Channel 4's been privatised and he's lost that argument. And Jay Hunt is so connected to David that she might either go or go for the chief executive's job herself. I think she... I'm not sure she'll get it. I'm not sure she'll get that job. Will some of the machinations there depend on the success or otherwise of Bake Off? Uh, It shouldn't. It's just a little show, right? But it's a £75 million gamble they've made. They've made a huge gamble and uh, it will be so in the spotlight that it will be impossible to separate Channel 4's performance from Bake Off. And another little prediction, Bake Off technically can't air this year because of a holdback in the contract, which means the BBC has the rights to it still, and other broadcasters are sort of banned from airing it this year. But I think the producers have begun pre-production, Love Productions have started casting, and I think we'll see it on air this year. I mean, the BBC could take it all the way to the Supreme Court, could they? If they really <laughs> felt like making that situation anywhere. Politically, is that is that sensible Possibly for the BBC not. to to be seen to be depriving viewers of one of the biggest shows on television? Okay, good stuff. Wow, that really was. I'm glad that the that Matt steered you in the direction of uh, going for bold because that was a good that was a good opener to, to to this year. I think on the media podcast, Matt Deegan, 
equal that. So Big bold prediction. Radio 1's going to close down. <laughs> so this year... <laughs> Chris Evans is going to nuke Radio 2. <laughs> so this year there's going to be uh, more programmes potentially put out to tender as part of the BBC's Compete or Compare. Uh, this is where... Um, in-house and externals can, can bid for more strands. Uh, I think a lot will go to the independent sector this year, uh, which will likely create, I imagine, towards the end of the year, a bit of a crisis of confidence in BBC production. Uh, it shouldn't do because I think a lot of those people will just move from the BBC to the independent sector, uh, but I think there'll be some headlines around that as well. And uh, at Folder Media, I imagine you're going to be doing a bit of competing and comparing yourself? Uh, we might do. We might have some interesting independent production plans this year. But uh, it's a it's a vibrant sector, and I think the fact that uh, there's more shows on offer, uh, whether they stay in house or they go out of house, is good news for license fee payers because it's you know better ideas on the radio. Good stuff, Matt. We'll see whether you're right this mm. time next year. You did say last year as well about talk radio mm. that the content on talk radio will be the marketing. That was your statement. Yeah, so I was saying that they probably wouldn't have a lot of money to spend above the line. No, that was certainly right. Uh, and they'd have to <laughs> make do with the, using the material. And I, I sort of think they've done that a little bit. You know, they hired some interesting folk uh, on, on talk radio. I think people like John Holmes and Ian Lee are, are good signings. I don't think they've realised the ambition of, of what that can be. Uh, but I think my other prediction, I think, for this year will be around now that the wireless group, owner of Talk Radio, Talk Sport and Virgin Radio, is uh, News Corp. When did that actually happen? When did uh, the handover I happen? I think that happened at the end of last year. Okay. Uh, now that's all gone through, I think they'll start to get a bit involved. That might just be putting some Murdoch cash behind it, uh, maybe be some tweaks to the radio stations. But, you know, you don't spend a few quid buying a radio group just to let it get on with itself. Well, people said that the reason that Murdoch wanted that whole group, really, was just to get the audio football rights because... He also owns the Sun, and they've got the video football rights, and so well, Sky. You've got to remember that News Corp are very good at managing sports rights. Talk Sport have the non-UK Premier League rights and lots of other bits of, of radio rights, which I'm sure may well be used by News Corp properties around the world. The Australian newspaper, for example, might take that material. But I think more than that, I think they'll, they've already started advertising in the Sun some of the phone-in topics, mm. and I think there'll be more of that this year. Yeah, well, they sponsor now, don't they? The Sun sponsor Paul Ross's breakfast show yeah. in a very obvious way. Jake, they've got to tread carefully with that, haven't they? Because we had Colin Murray departing the network saying it was because of Hillsborough and he was worried about the Sun's involvement editorially. I think we, you know, Colin's departure is probably the only high-profile blow they've had since the takeover. What I do know from what I pick up from the BBC is that uh, News Corp's involvement now in TalkSport has put the fear of God into Five Live. And, and LBC, uh, I should imagine. Yeah, and they, you know, in an environment where Five Live is losing audience at the moment, I, I think they are terrified that TalkSport are going to come and chip away even further. Hello, I'm Maggie Brown. I'm here to give you my predictions for 2017. My first prediction is that Channel 4 will not be privatised. Um, I think it's going to be treated relatively kindly. My prediction is that um, there'll be some arrangement made that uh, more programming is made outside of London than is currently made. I predict that the new BBC chairman, Sir David Clementi, who uh, has just been announced, will glide quite happily into the BBC. What <laughs> strikes me about this is that people are saying that in the media, oh goodness, he's very boring, he's, he knows nothing about broadcasting. But the BBC is kind of getting an establishment figure 
probably the government is looking at the way Channel 4 was calmed down by putting in a heavy hitter, Lord Terry Burns, and has had quite a, a, a reasonable run in the past six or seven years compared with the entrepreneur Luke Johnson, who, who was the previous chairman. So I think that they're, going, they're playing safe. Another prediction is that if the Express and the Daily Mirror are talking about sending their advertising together or some form of joint um, newspaper advertising sales force, I would be happy to suggest maybe the Guardian and the Daily Telegraph will get together because they're politically apart, editorially distinct, but they're both broadsheet newspapers. And you would imagine that um, some form of uh, joint sales force might work pretty well. Well, why not? Um, another prediction, uh, the fate of ITV could well be decided this year if it's going to be taken over. I say this for two reasons, partly because, of course, we've seen the pound falter quite considerably since the Brexit vote. Uh, and we know that the Liberty Global Group, this is the John Malone company that's been snapping up assets like uh, cable companies across Europe, has actually splashed out on almost 10% buying a stake from uh, B. So perfectly reasonable to think that there might be some form of, of takeover now. Here's my last prediction. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Thompson, who is at the moment, of course, heading up the New York Times, uh, he's been in position in America since November 2012. He, he'll be 60 this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he thought that... Um, you know, ripe for a change. I don't know if he's going to come back to Britain. I can't see him loving a, a Trump-dominated America. He might well decide that he's got a lovely big house in North Oxford and now's the time to enjoy it. The inimitable Maggie Brown. Uh, and now I'm joined by Holden Frith, uh, editor of theweek.co.uk from Dennis Publishing. Hello, Holden. Hi, Ollie. Welcome to the Media Podcast. Thank you. Long-time listener, first-time contributor. Absolutely. <laughs> what are your predictions for the year ahead? So I think one of the things we'll see is the battle between publishers and ad blockers is going to escalate and then possibly reach some kind of resolution towards the end of the year. Go on, give us more detail. So, we started to see a few skirmishes on this one. Last year, Wired and Business Insider started saying that if you, as a reader, were using an ad blocker, a piece of software that meant that the adverts wouldn't show up, you were not going to be allowed on their site anymore unless you switched that ad blocker off. You know, there's a couple of sites in a very large ecosystem at the moment, but given that we're already seeing 20 25% of readers using this software, I just think more publishers are going to start taking those measures. There's, there's just not enough money in the digital publishing ecosystem for people to shrug off a quarter of it. But uh, it seems like, you know, if that many of your audience want to block the adverts, then the adverts are bad. Yeah, there's a problem on both sides here. I think it's too many adverts take up too much resources, particularly on mobile phones where connections may not be as fast as they ought to be. And that's why I think that resolution is possible in this case, and we may move, move towards it, because I think what we'll see is a two-pronged approach, really. So from um, the publishers, you'll see more education. You'll see messages saying, we need to pay our journalists. You want to read this material. Somebody's got to pay for it. We've seen some quite a lot of positive response to that kind of messaging. People do then 
accept advertising, some don't. But also there's going to have to be work on the side of publishers and advertisers to make sure pages load more quickly. People are clearer about what sort of cookies, what sort of tracking, what sort of resources adverts are using. And I think one of the things that will push people towards resolution is Google. So two years ago, they decided that quick loading pages for mobile was a real priority for them. And they said, if your website's pages load quickly and they're mobile responsive, you'll go higher up the results page. That means more readers, that means more revenue. And you saw very quickly publishers stepping into line and making their pages more mobile friendly. I expect something similar is going to happen with advertising on that front and that Google will find some way of prioritizing sites that have more efficient, quicker loading adverts. It's in their interest to keep the digital advertising market healthy, keep people happy with seeing adverts and responding to them. If people turn off advertising altogether, Google suffers there as much as publishers do. But the obvious solution seems to be uh, more branded content or editorialised adverts, um, because that way you can provide them for free to the audience. You know, it's clear the genie's not coming out the bottle, apart from the Times and the FT in the UK. Paywalls aren't really working. Uh, So if the site has to be free, but you're not making enough revenue from ads... The only option is to write an article that looks like an article but is actually an advert. We're going to see more of that, aren't we? We'll certainly see some of that, whether we'll see more I'm less convinced about. I think that actually leads me on to another prediction that's just popped into my head. But I think we'll probably see... A pop-up. A pop-up. Pop-up ad, which is the the worst kind (laughs) of ad. I think we'll probably see some other form of business model being presented as the saviour of digital journalism we've you know native advertising was that saviour for a little while i think it was possibly superseded by video for a while previous to that we had paywalls which you mentioned there's always something new which is going to be the one and only solution okay so you're producing something new but nothing something specific. new but nothing specific well, that's but not also that native content will be part of that mix and i think actually whatever it is that's predicted as being the non-specific saviour this year will probably next year be a part of that mix but it won't be the saviour and I think what we're really learning is that there isn't one single solution to the problem of digital journalism we just need a range of different income streams. Okay I'm going to give you one more prediction. One more is a slightly less optimistic prediction than either of those and that's that the issue of fake news will not be solved there will not be a resolution there partly because nobody can really agree what fake news is at the moment it seems to cover a very wide range of issues from the onion and joke news and spoofs ending up being taken seriously and shared as if they are true to state-sponsored attempts to swing an election allegedly to any kind of news that somebody doesn't like they'll just dismiss it as fake news and actually at the week what's the approach that you take to sources because obviously most of your uh, stories do come from the mainstream media but occasionally it must be nice though to throw in a website that's got a scoop and I I guess now you're thinking more than you were before well we really better background check this. Yes and we we do use a, a broad range of sources and one of the advantages I think we have at the week is that we are very open about the fact that we are a digest of a very wide range of sources from all different sides of the equation and that means we can be I think much more explicit about sifting through claims and counterclaims and giving readers a a really good idea of 
the sort of level of confidence we can have in any particular claim. And you know, looking at the Trump stories over the weekend, we were able to, you know, we looked at BuzzFeed, we looked at CNN, we looked at how the BBC was reporting these stories, and we just brought in as much background, as much context as we could to give people a steer on that. Holden Frith, thank you very much. Now, before we move on, as all you media literate folks will know, there's never just me here and some guests. There's always a producer as well. And as is often the case, it's Matt Hill. Hello, Matt. Hello. You've written this cue for yourself. Here's my question to you, Matt. Why am I talking to you? Uh, Well, uh, as most listeners will know, whenever my voice is heard, it's normally because I'm asking for some sort of uh, cash from from our listenership. And today is no different, really. Right, Okay. As you may have noticed, this prediction special is, is all about... Uh, raising funds to keep us going for the next year. And so I've written this queue in order to make that happen. Right, okay. So we're going to have a chat now for the next few minutes about why we need your money. Yes, and it's definitely okay. not going to be just 30 seconds. So if you skip forward 30 seconds, yeah, we're, we're still, still going to be, be going on about, about it. Because the thing is, I think a lot of people who listen to podcasts on a regular basis and who get this show habitually, they do suffer from that thing of thinking, well, someone else is paying for it. I do like this show, but someone else is paying. They must be because Ollie read their names out over the credits. But the reality is... We don't have enough money to make this show. Not to say that we are spending huge amounts of money here. We are very, very tight with the cash. Maybe we should describe where we're doing this right now. Yeah, we're in a photocopy room. Yes, uh, Dennis Publishing. Where we just interviewed Holden. So we said, Holden, we'll talk to you and then we'll sit in your photocopy room and record something. Because we don't spend money on studios. That's why we're usually at the hospital club. Exactly. We wanted somewhere central so that it was very convenient that our guests could not say no to us when we invite them along. And most of them don't take a fee. And if they do, it's fuck all. Exactly. So we are really working from a bare minimum. And I mean, you know, when we don't have a sponsor... We don't get paid either, and that creates a few little issues, and I'll tell you a very personal one right now. Oh, please do, Matt. So, Is your relationship falling apart? No, no, nothing like that, <laughs> nothing like that. When we're doing it for free, uh, and I'm perfectly happy to do that for the, for the times between sponsors. I'm doing this for free right now, folks. Indeed. I said that thing I just said for free. Then it's all fine, except when I can't get out of something. So next week I start jury service. Oh, I'd love to do jury service. Yeah, and a lot of people keep telling this to me, and I don't know how long I'll be doing jury service for. It's normally two weeks, but it could be longer. Could be something juicy, couldn't it? And so someone has to do this podcast, and I can't ask them to do it for free. Someone has to write my script, and Matt is too embarrassed to say, will you do that for free? Exactly. So you've got to work with me. <laughs> so in order to be able to pay someone to come and write the script and book the guests and arrange with the venue to make sure that everyone turns up and has the kit and all that business. And edit the content. All of the above. Yeah. That needs someone to do it. And uh, for that, we need some voluntary subscriptions. And because we've run out of money. We have no money left. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. That's why this episode has taken six weeks to produce from various different sessions that we've been recording other stuff. That's why uh, it's really important for you to go to themediapodcast.com forward slash dedicate. Because it really, I mean, you might be thinking, yeah, but then I, I, I donate money and okay, you know, I end up just paying salaries for something that these guys are clearly happy to do as a passion project. That's not the point. If we took all the money we've ever made from this show... I couldn't buy a jumper at Liberty. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I could buy five jumpers at H&M. That's the kind of money we're talking. So really, we are doing this as a passion project, but we need to cover our costs. So before this becomes too much of a rant, and it is starting <laughs> yeah, to sound a little bit of a rant, rant. Yeah, help us out. We promise we'll do good by you. Yeah. Keep making the show on a regular basis, fortnightly. Maybe, if you're very generous, 
Maybe weekly. Maybe. Whisper it. Yeah. Uh, so if you value what we do, themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. One more time. Themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. And now with more gravitas. Themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Too much. Now here's friend of the show, Faraz Osman, accounting for his predictions from 2016. So the first thing I mentioned last year was that there's going to be a big BBC reshuffle, which I think that's kind of right. There's been lots of changes over there. Um, Peter Salmon obviously has kind of caused a bit of an earthquake with his move and, uh, and what happened with BBC Studios. I did also mention that a big US name would kind of pop in and shake things up a little bit. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to have been the case and we still seem to have familiar faces running the top of different channels. But I guess the, the big news that kind of caught us at the end of the year was what happened with 20th Century Fox and, and what's looking like their purchase of Sky and taking full control over it. So I don't know if that's a, a US name. It's certainly a US company taking full control of a broadcaster. It's a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. Can I get half a point for that? One of the other things I mentioned was that there'll be a breakout hit from uh, a new publisher that came into the market. It's been interesting, actually, because it, it feels like if things have squeezed a little bit, where Netflix and Amazon are the only people in the game that are making a success of it. And so I don't think that there's been necessarily a completely new publisher that we hadn't heard of previously. But I do think that we're heading to a digital streaming war between two players, and that being Netflix and Amazon. So I've been asked to make some predictions of 2017 and after this mental year that was 2016, I'm kind of a bit terrified to do so because let's be honest, it's, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on anymore. Um, but I'll take a few shots in the dark as to what, what may occur. Um, I think firstly, and perhaps depressingly, I think we're going to see a return of nostalgia TV. So anybody that owns a format from the 80s, 90s or noughties is probably rubbing their hands in glee at the moment because I think that we'll see a lot of commissions from brands that, that we heard of when back in the day that kind of re-emerge in the hope of getting some headlines and, um, and getting some, some nostalgia audiences so that people can bathe themselves in a, in a warm soup of, of what yesteryear used to be in the hope that they can turn their ears and eyes off from what's going on around the world right now. So I think that we'll see a little bit more nostalgia TV than we have seen previously. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you can decide. The second prediction that I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out with is that I think that we're going to see some more very high-budget content, particularly on streaming services, that are focused on a particular demographic so so what i mean by that is uh, if you look at the crown my, my belief is that the crown was a commission that netflix took to secure older audiences that hadn't already become a subscriber of that service and that's been i think quite successful from from what we've seen and i think that we're going to see a lot more commissions that are very strongly targeted at women or strongly targeted at ethnic minorities or strongly targeted at a, a particular country or a particular interest group and, and i think that we're going to see lots more of very targeted commissions that have very big budgets in the hope that those subscription services can grab lots of audiences and, and advertise in one particular area and so that they can say that their service is some, it's got one thing for lots of different people. So I think we're going to see some very high budget programming that's based around particular demographics. I'm joined now by TV series producer Susie Marsh. Happy New Year, Susie. Happy New Year. Predictions for 2017. Uh, so my predictions will obviously be 
TV programme based. Um, I think really with 2016 in the can and gosh what a corker of a year it was, we can only <laughs> be looking news. forward. <laughs> good for news, terrible for the rest of humanity. Yeah. We can only be looking forward to things that will give us that lovely, warm, glowy, soft, fuzzy feeling I think and that's not something that's always been embraced in television um, but I do think we will do an an honest look at warm and encouraging and a look at humanity and programming but that can fall two two ways I think also we're looking to be kind towards each other but I also think we're also looking to find the superhero in all of us the the extreme television the pushing the boundaries in real situations so it's less about reality and reality whatever that is programming and more about real both in a good and an extreme way. So what does that mean for the extant reality shows in the sort of traditional style, if you can call reality traditional? I mean, Big Brother this year, is that going to be not antagonistic? They're all going to get along? Well, I mean, look at I'm a Celebrity from last year. It freaked people out because everybody got on. And, but actually, everybody really enjoyed that they got on. And although there were moments of, you know, flashes... It was a really different approach to everything, but everybody was very accepting of it. And that just shows you that we're all thinking, please, somebody just give me a hug, because it's really been just awful. So that bodes quite well for Bake Off then, doesn't it? That is a big hug it of a does, show. It does, but gosh, we Brits, we do harbour a grudge, don't we? <laughs> so, um, and we hate success, Paul Hollywood. Yes, well, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's moved to the other side, hasn't he? So that's going to really stick in our throats, not least his bread. But a nice, a nice warm, inclusive format, you predict, we'll follow, but yeah, I, yeah, I do, but with real, lots of real people, I think. Less about the celebrity, everything's been very celebrity-driven. There may be celebrity elements to it, but it's about the real people having real achievements. Even, you know, even BBC One had a whole stripped across the week series which was following a nun around her small little council estate trying to do good when would that ever have been on television uh 10 years ago never so yeah that's my prediction it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are now joined at the vanguard of digital media by a trio of buzzfeeders, uh, Louise Ridley, James Ball and Scotty Bryan. Louise, you first. 
What is your big prediction for 2017? So I have one that I'm, I'm quite excited about personally because I'm a big fan of podcasts. I think it's going to become a big year for uh, audio becoming more social, which is really exciting and something oh, you might not expect. Absolutely. And here we are on, the, on a radio program. Something what so I would great. very much like, but I, I've been waiting 10 years to happen. How is audio going to become more social? Because people well, like clicking on video. We've seen the sort of rise of podcasts over the last few years, and that's something that's growing and growing. But the certain technologies launching next year, sorry, this year, 2017, and that launched at the end of last year that are making this sort of friction that stop people listening to podcasts uh, go away a bit. So you've got Amazon Echo, which is the new sort of Amazon technology with voice-activated stuff. They've paired up with an internet streaming uh, radio company, which means you can just say, Amazon Echo, play me the media podcast, This American Life, and it will play them. Um, you don't have to sign up, you don't have to register, which is apparently a big barrier to podcasts. Uh, also, Facebook in uh, December launched its Facebook Live audio service, which is currently being tested with various broadcasters, uh, including the BBC. That could prove very, very exciting if we're having the ability for broadcasters to broadcast live radio, to do podcasts and things uh, on Facebook. That could be a big deal. And, and does that have to be live? Because obviously the point about Facebook live video is you can tell it's live because the people are interacting with the comments and stuff. If Radio 4 just plays out one of their documentaries an hour early, does that count as live audio? Or do people have to be reacting? I am not sure, to be honest with you. I mean, it means I assume the same as, as video, it means they are playing it live to you through that service. Okay, so Louise has kicked us off well here at BuzzFeed by, by telling me, an established podcaster, that uh, audio is going to go viral this year. Uh, James Ball, uh, your prediction better be that it's going to be a big year for me and um, I'm going to get some sort of daily Five Live or Radio 4 show. I think really radio presenters are very sort of 2005. I, I, I think, you know, we'll finally see uh, them phased out. I think my serious prediction is that we're going to see several major newspapers change owners this year, but I don't think it's going to be the good thing here that it was in America. Um, I think if you look at the Washington Post, it had been owned by a sort of family company. Of, you know, the family were notorious, notorious, famous, celebrated in D.C., but it was underinvested. It was focusing local. It was focusing on print, and you know they got bought out by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon. They integrated with that. They threw so much money at digital, but in a profitable way. They upped the audience. They've hired more journalists. They've really reshaped how they do things. And it's just been such a good thing for US journalism for it not just to be about the New York Times for once and for the Washington Post to be on such good form. The problem when you look here, I think the Daily Express is very clearly up for sale. I think the Star is up for sale the Telegraph is clearly in some way, shape or form at the right price up for sale. Where are those sort of interested, enlightened owners who have a plan and have something interesting to do rather than try and consolidate into sort of last surviving, clinging on newspaper group, doing all the same things that don't work, uh, trying to cut costs to pay off the merger? I don't see where the interesting media buyers are. Is it the issue that in a globalised world, it's less attractive to the billionaire who's prepared to lose money on a brand to buy a British one because you can get prestige by buying an American one and then more people around the world engaging with it immediately? Britain's newspapers kind of have outweighed sort of role in the world. I mean, the Daily Mail is the world's biggest English language website. The Guardian is huge. Um, even sort of sites like the Indie, which have quite a small UK readership, really. And, you know, no way... Uh, no paper anymore quite big sort of audiences because 
most of the US media are local titles that focus on the city. So we're kind of more suited to the web anyway. It's just there's that lack of prestige attached to most of them. You know, the FT clearly was a prestige brand, which is why it got bought up at a sort of really good price. The Economist is a prestige product. What's left after that? The Times, don't think that's for sale at the moment. You know, the Guardian can't be sold. So the other things around don't have that shiny quality. They don't have the buzz that's got to give them a sort of trophy price tag anymore. Okay, interesting. And Scotty, you write mainly about telly. Is your prediction TV-based? It is. Okay. Um, this is the year that I think that the BBC and linear TV channel owners get absolutely shit scared by Netflix and online streaming. I think it's been an issue that's been building up for the last year. You've seen Netflix release kind of a big show like every two to three weeks with varying degrees of success. But I think in 2016, Netflix hit it out at the park. They had The Crown, which was fantastic, and I think could have been on a British broadcaster. You had Stranger Things, which was one of the biggest shows. We actually had a list at the end of uh, last year where we asked uh, BuzzFeed staff for their favourite shows of the year. And of course, you know, it's quite biased by the fact that we're quite young staff and we're watching a lot of online programming rather than, let's say, what's on some of the linear channels. But nearly the entire list was Netflix. And I think the BBC are getting quite anxious by the fact that people can just watch entire series on demand they don't know how much necessarily these big foreign broadcasters are um, having in, in their viewing figures because they keep it to themselves but also the fact that they are throwing money hand over fist i think last year ted Samanos, the chief content uh, officer said that he's going to double the amount of money that they're putting into shows this year which potentially means that there will be a, a either a returning show or a new show every single week for this year which is crazy and the fact that you have shows that might be successful way past the normal 30-day box that BBC iPlay shows are normally found in. So I think that's, that's kind of a concern. The BBC is thinking, how do we have shows that appeal to young people? BBC Three, I don't think, has really taken off with young people, with the exception of, let's say, Fleabag or one or two of their documentaries. I think it really hasn't set the world alight or the UK alight as much as they would have wanted. It's like, how do they have these shows that people watch days, weeks after they've been transmitted, that has that appeal, that can help combat these massive giants that are parking up. And when it comes to the actual traditional linear scheduling of the big brand terrestrial TV channels, how do you think they'll react? You say they're shit scared, but what do they do? Do they double down and say, right, more Night Manager, more Planet Earth type stuff, big flagship stuff that can compete with Netflix? Or do they say, well, we'll just do what on-demand services can't. We'll have more, you know, magazine programming, more loose women, you know, more news and uh, cheap quiz shows. Well, I think in terms of the BBC, they're kind of going halfway. They're kind of like, at the end of the day, we're the BBC. We have to be accountable to licence fee payers and we have to do these uh, the things that these big broadcasters can't do. So, you know, have... Yeah, documentaries that might be less popular but talk about an important subject and um, you know um, do specifically British issues or um, do um, dramas that might help shed light on an important subject but at the same time I feel that they are also spending money hand over fist with these 
big blockbuster shows like Planet Earth 2, which was kind of a co-production with Discovery and with foreign broadcasters. And, and with The Night Manager, that was, a, you know, absolutely lots of money spent, spent on that, getting top talent in. So I kind of feel that they're kind of going two ways. They're saying, OK, let's spend a lot of money, but also spend not that much money at the same time. It's very much to think about spending resources carefully, much more than they have done in the past. I think it was also quite interesting with Tony Hall's speech the other day by the fact that he sees that BBC iPlayer being the future and that by 2020 he wants it to be a bit like Netflix by having entire series on there before you're even able to watch it on BBC One and BBC Two. But then that makes me wonder, well, will that be cannibalising linear TV even more if I can just watch it in one go rather than, let's say, watching The Night Manager for six weeks? I just wonder if we're ever going to move to a world where people want to see the tipping point box set. There probably is someone out there that does. <laughs> Um, I can imagine someone somewhere was like, yes, this is my moment, 80 hours of tipping. I just, I just like that Ben, he wears a suit well. And then I guess the big sort of TV industry speculation is, is Murdoch going to get Sky? There was, the last time when they got put forward, there was the massive speculation. It was that the kind of the perfect point in terms of where the story was going in terms of phone hacking. There was a lot of attention to it. And the fact is, I think the narrative has just moved on now. So I think it's quite likely that it will happen. Uh, Louise? I agree. I'd say probably yes, uh, given that how much times have changed since the last time that was that was on the cards. Well, he, he did have the most humbling day of his life. Uh, James, yes or no? Uh, yes. Um, the EU regulators are the only ones who might kick up a fuss. The question is whether he'll be able to do any kind of cross-promotion stuff for the Times, Sunday Times, Sun, because that's where the synergy is, that's where the potential is. And the Times and the Sun are both loss-making at the moment, so they need some help. It's whether he can then get some benefit out of the deal or not. And talking of tricky spins, I mean, I am sitting at BuzzFeed. I have to ask you a question, which you can all ignore if you choose. Uh, Are we going to see this year, do we think, uh, more stories published that have single sources? I don't think it's questions about single sourcing. You know, Snowden was a single source. You know, journalism as ever is about sort of furthering the conversations. We've got to see that. We will see... Fake news, we will see organisations sort of report in a biased way as people accuse the male or the son of. We will see very high-quality investigative journalism and we will see everything in between. Very diplomatic. Well, that is it from this edition of the Media Podcast. We will be back with our regular show as soon as we can. You can help make that happen. I think we've kind of underlined that point. I'm going to say it one more time. TheMediaPodcast.com slash dedicate for god's sake give us some money doesn't matter if you're just a runner and you only give us a couple of quid anything until then i'm ollie mann the producer's matt hill the media podcast is a ppm production bye-bye small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.